Let's open our Bibles again to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Again, we are in a series on the armor of God, and a very tremendous passage that's, again, familiar, I believe, to most Christians. Most of us have probably heard a message or two in times past, maybe even in Sunday school you've heard through it. But again, it's, it's always good to review these precious pages uh, that we do have. So Ephesians chapter 6. Once you find your place there, I invite you to stand. We'll uh, have the reading of the Word of God if you're able to. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. Reading through the whole passage. We've been doing this for a couple weeks. And I pray through this you're beginning to memorize it uh, and apply this to our hearts. So let's begin reading verse 6. The Word of God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. As we look here at Ephesians chapter 6, we are now to the second piece of armor. Last week we talked about verse 14. This is kind of where we're centered in again today. Last week we talked about having our loins girt about with truth, or truth as our, our belt, if you will. And so this is very important as we think about this. We are commanded, as you see here in verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, that's uh, kind of amplified even more. It says, Wherefore, take into the whole armor of God, that he may be able to withstand in the evil day. So, again, as Paul is writing this here, we believe that he was probably under house arrest during this time in Rome. And he's writing this as one of his prison epistles that he is writing to the church at Ephesus. And so, very, very likely, he would have been chained to a, a guard who probably wore uh, pretty much this clothing. If nothing else, the Ephesians who received this letter were, of course, very well aware of, of Roman soldiers that were in that area, especially in that very important port city at that time. And so, Roman soldiers were prevalent uh, across, of course, the Roman Empire. But the breastplate especially, we talked about the, 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 the belt of truth last week, and the, the belt of truth... Um, Ballista, which is called, was one that was wear around his waist. It was more than just a little one-inch belt that you and I would wear, perhaps. Uh, it was bigger than, let's say, a Texas Cowboys, you know, shiny brass buckle. It's bigger than that. And the idea is this, that this would have, is actually more decorative than anything. It wasn't necessarily a piece of what we would consider armor protection, per se, but it was a status symbol, and it would have been used definitely to hold your tunic in place, your clothing in place, but also it would hold your breastplate in, in place as well. It would, everything would be tight-fitted together. Everything had a purpose in working together. But without the belt of truth, a soldier was pretty much ineffective in the battlefield. The reason is this, because back in those days, those guys wore tunics. Think of it as a fancy word for a dress, okay? And so just the way that they wore things back then, you would have had to tuck in your tunic, if you will, into your belt in order for you to run faster, to not be hindered in the way you moved. 
later on in 1 Peter, Peter uses this analogy too, to gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, tie up loose ends. Don't let anything get in your way. But really the idea of the belt of truth or the idea of it's not just God's truth, but it's also what we consider truthfulness. It's basically honesty and integrity. And by taking off that belt of truth, basically it's an idea of really of loyalty. You're, you're loyal with one another, those who you serve with in the army. By the way, there was not a one-size-fits-all on Roman belts during the Roman period. Okay? Actually, in, in soldiers' spare time, when they got paid, it wasn't necessarily something. They couldn't just go, buy, go out and buy you know, the newest chariot on the, on, the, you know, on, the, on the market, per se, when they got paid. So what they do is they would often embellish their uh, armor, they're pieces that they would wear. So sometimes you would find different belts depending on the soldier, what they would like and not like. But again, they all wore a belt. And it identified them as a Roman soldier. Even so, the belt of truth, by wearing it, identifies us as loyal and committed to our captain, Jesus Christ. So it's vital that we keep on the belt of truth. We never take it off. That's our identity. Now we come here to the next part, which is the breastplate. And the breastplate, the, the fancy word for it is called the lorica segmentata. Don't you love those Latin words, okay? By the way, a lot of words that you find for Roman armor really didn't come about until like the 16th century, so we don't know exactly what Romans called it in their day, perhaps. A little bit we do. But nonetheless, uh, this was an important part. So the Roman soldier's breastplate, uh, by the way, this was a vital part of their armor for the, for the Roman soldier. You can imagine in your mind of a, of a Roman soldier as he's getting ready to go to battle that he puts on this breastplate. And now the breastplate would actually be a few different areas. I want to kind of stop by saying this because there's sometimes a misconception and perhaps you've even heard it preached and even taught, I know I have, that when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness or really the armor of God, period, it's all frontal armor and that the, basically there was no protection for the back. And so we're, the, the kind of the, the rallying kind of the preaching term is that we should always be facing forward, always on the offensive, never turn our backs. You know, that's the idea. But historically, that's false of what actually happened in the Roman period. That didn't happen back then. Because why? And this is why we, we get that. It was actually John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress in his story when Christian fights against Apollyon, who is Satan. And, and John Bunyan actually makes that comment that that the, there was the breastplate that protected the front, but there was no backing, and so Christian was vulnerable on his backside. But the thing is this, the Roman armor did not look like that, okay? Because why? There were three types of armor that Roman soldiers wore. The most common was actually chain mail. Chain mail would go over basically your tunic, and it would cover your shoulders, a little bit over your arms, and also it would go almost all the way to your knees, and it would cover you fully, Okay? So that was actually the most common type, especially during the time of Paul's writing, even during the time of Jesus, that would have been the most common type of armor that was worn by the common soldiers in the Roman army was chain mail, okay? Another type of, uh, of armor that would have been worn would have been kind of like the full-plated armor. Uh, the, uh, and that, think of like maybe a centurion or maybe a high-ranking uh, soldier, they would wear this and find, in fact, you find this sometimes in sculptures of Roman uh, legionnaires, the, the high-ranking ones. It was basically an entire breastplate that would have been worn and again would have covered both the front and the back, okay? And then also probably the most, 
noted one that you would see most often. You see this a lot in movies, for example, and that is what was called the Lorca Segmentata, and it was basically about 18 different pieces of metal that were fashioned exactly to cover the, the front, the shoulders, and even the back and the sides of, of the soldier. So in other words, every part is protected. Here's the thing. Why do you need your back protected? Because when you're in the battle, you can face opposition on every side. You can't be vulnerable. And let me say, when God gives you his armor, you are not vulnerable to Satan's attacks if you are in him. That's the point of it. So sometimes it might sound good as a preaching style, but you've got to kind of look at the facts too, okay? (laughs) Anyways, that's a little rabbit trail for the morning, okay? But let me just be important to understand the importance of this. The, I cannot express how important it was for a Roman soldier to have that breastplate. To go into battle without that, he would basically be wiped out probably within the first minute of battle, within the first conflict. Again, this covered here, this is the important thing. Why was this vital? Why was the breastplate vital? Because it covered the shoulders, the back, the front, and the sides, and it served to protect especially vital organs in, during the conflict such as your heart, okay? So this is very important. So the challenge is this, and that Paul is getting is this, that we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here in verse 14, again, it says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, it's, it's kind of the idea of having already put on. In other words, you're already wearing it, okay? You go in the battle already wearing it. You don't go to the battle trying to figure out what to put on. I remember when I was uh, basically in junior high, I played hockey, and if you go out, you know, skating against, you know, other teams and all that, you're going to have to put on the pads. Think of football. You know, you don't find someone who is trying to lace up their skates or, or trying to put on their pads or helmet or whatever else as they are getting ready to go out on the ice or maybe on the ice. They would, it would look miserable. It would look hilarious, to be honest with you, but they would be ineffective playing the game. Even so with us, by fighting the battle that we are faced with really every day, that we need to constantly put on the whole armor of God. We need to be ready on a daily basis, okay? So this is the idea. So let's talk now about the importance of what Paul is saying here as far as the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Let's talk here about the importance of righteousness. What do we mean by that? According to the Bible, there are really three main types of righteousness that is presented. The first type of righteousness is self-righteousness. The second we'll get to in a moment is called imputed righteousness. And then the third is imparted righteousness. Now before your eyes glaze over, we'll take time to go through each and, the, each and every one of these. So let's talk about, first of all, the first type of righteousness we find uh, that's important to understand is self-righteousness. What is exactly self-righteousness? That means basically our works, our, our deeds, how we view ourselves even and how we live. Now is it good to live uh, properly, with respect and all that to others, and to love God, love men, absolutely. But here's the thing, if we are simply relying on that simply to protect us, what we do, then our righteousness is in vain. It was actually Martin Luther that says, our works in and of themselves are sin. Think about that. Our works are sinful when we do it in and for ourselves. Here's the thing. So what does the Bible say about this? In the book of Isaiah 64, you probably have heard this verse, the Bible says that we are all as an unclean thing, all their righteousness are as filthy rags. They're worthless, okay? We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Again, in our sinful condition, our righteousness is worthless. 
our good works that we do, however good it may be in the world's eyes, guess what? It is worthless because of how we compare ourselves with God. God's righteousness is perfect. There's no way in the world that we can compare with that. So therefore, our righteousness, the Bible says later on in Ephesians 2, that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by our works at all. We're saved simply by God's grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his blood alone. How important that is for us to understand that. There's no way in the world that we can be saved on our own works. Impossible. It's impossible. But this is the thing. We are saved for good works, to do good works, exactly. So as God works in in us. Going on, Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous, no, not one. So when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, understand that this... If you're putting on your own righteousness, your own good deeds, your own good works, saying, hey, I'm good with God. Look at all the things I've done. Look at how much I've given. Look at how much I've attended church. Look at how much I've prayed. Look at how much I've sang songs. Whatever you want to do. Look how I've fed the homeless. Whatever you want to put out there. If you're putting on that armor of what you have done, it's worthless. It will not stop the enemy's attacks. There's always a chink in the armor. And listen to what Paul says. I want you to turn over to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Just a few pages over. Philippians chapter 3. We went through Philippians last year. And uh, this is kind of a little reminder for that. But I want you to look at Paul's own testimony of how he viewed his own righteousness, his own deeds, and how he had to rely on Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, or Paul's saying, giving his testimony... Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss. He's talking about his pedigree. Uh, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He kept the law. He, was, he tried to do everything perfect in this life. But he says, I count all that at loss. Verse 8 says, For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, but rubbish, that I may win Christ. And here's the point. Look at verse 9 especially. And being found in him... Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, before we are saved, we are unrighteous. We are lost. We are without hope, without Christ. But when we are saved, when we understand our sin and our need for our great Savior, and by trusting in Jesus Christ for what he did for us on the cross once for all, When we trust in him for that, what does he do? At the moment of salvation, he gives us his righteousness. And we're changed. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, I'm not living by my righteousness. My identity is found in Christ, in his righteousness. And that's exactly what's the point. And so Paul's not saying, I am not righteous because of my experiences. I'm righteous because of what Jesus has done for me and who he is. I like what uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he has an amazing quote concerning this. He says this, concerning when we think of our righteousness, think of experiences that we do. He says, thank God for experiences, but do not rely on them. You do not put on the breastplate of experiences. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Too many Christians are resting in the breastplate of their own experiences. Look at what I've done for God. Look what I've done for humanity. Look at all the good things that I've done. But when, it, when push comes to shove at the very end of life, that means nothing. It's what Christ has done in you and for you and how you live for him. Praise God for that. Again, I like what Lloyd-Jones says. Don't put on the breastplate of experiences. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Therefore, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Good, good challenge to this today. So that is self-righteousness. That is self-righteousness, and I hope you're not relying on that today. Well, let's talk about the second part of righteousness, and that is what is called imputed righteousness. Imputed is a financial term. Basically means to put to one's account. And, and how, how you're seeing. This is re, really regarding our position in Christ. This is our position in Christ. And Paul says this, and let me read this verse to you. Actually, let's, let's turn there. We've got a little bit of time. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are important verses. I want you to see what Paul is sharing here about how his life was changed and how he now lives. Okay. Verse uh, 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, we are righteous because Jesus is righteous. There's nothing good in us, in our sinful condition. Okay? Jesus Christ, because of his righteousness, we are changed. And when God sees us, as believers, he sees Jesus Christ, the righteousness and obedience of Christ. That's what he sees in us. That is what is called imputed. It's been placed on our account. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing we did to earn it. You know, there's not enough brownie points to get that, okay? Don't you love getting all those Culver's coupons, you know, for ice cream and all that, and hopefully you get enough of them and you get the big prize or whatever you want? You know, that's, that's kind of an idea. But you know what? There's nothing in our life that will get us righteous that we do. It's what he does. And through him, therefore, rest in his righteousness, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So, it kind of another way to explain, I love the song, The Solid Rock. The last verse of this song says this, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What a tremendous truth that is. We are dressed in the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness, and we rest in him. This is called imputed righteousness, and this is important. But I believe when we're talking here in Ephesians chapter 6, concerning the breastplate of righteousness, I believe it's actually talking about the third type of righteousness, and that is what is called imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness. Let me use a different term to help us understand that. Think of it practical righteousness. In other words, what does righteousness look like? That's the point. What does righteousness look like? We talk about Jesus, the all-righteous one, and that we are righteous in him. And now let's say, how do we live, how does he live really through us is the idea. And so this idea of imparted righteousness or practical righteousness is what I believe what Paul is referring to here in Ephesians chapter 4. And what do I mean by that? Because I believe that this theme is actually a part of, the, of, of his epistle to the Ephesians. Look with me back in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, the, third, uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians, the first half, is really talking about our wealth in Christ that we have. 
in knowing Christ and his love, the riches of his glory. And then in, from Ephesians 4 through 6, we talk about how we, we walk with him. It's talking about our daily walk, walk worthy of the vocation or his calling upon us. And now we're going to see kind of what that looks like. How do we live this new life in Christ? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. Actually, let's, uh, uh, let's, let's kind of go a little bit background. Let's do this. In verse uh, 22, it says, That ye put off concerning the former conversation, or the way of the life of the old man, that's your sin, past sinful life, which is corrupt according to the seatful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And listen carefully to this. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And now Paul is explaining, this is kind of what it looks like. Here's practically, what does it look like to live righteously in, in, in holiness? In verse 25 it says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we members one another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down your wrath. Neither give place to the devil, let him that steal, steal no more. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but everything that is good, which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you for, with all malice. My word, the person who practices these things, we would say they are unrighteous. Okay? They are definitely disobeying God. Their lifestyle is not holy. It's unholy. But in Christ, having a renewed mind and having on that new man being in Christ as believers now, it looks the opposite of that. And what does it look like in the end that we are in Christ and that we are living uh, righteously and holy? Verse 32 says this, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And so how important it is for us to live out the righteousness of Christ. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that's one area where Paul's talking about this is practical righteousness, imparted righteousness. Let's go to the other place he mentions this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Okay, here he's commanding us to walk as dear children, to walk in love, to walk in light, walk circumspectly, not, not as fools, but as wise. In verse, now verse, uh, look with me in verse 9. Okay, actually, let's begin verse uh, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, pay attention. For the fruit of righteousness in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. And so now, the, what's happening there, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, submitting one another. And how does that look like in the practical life? Paul then talks in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about families. He talks about marriages, dealings between husbands and wives. And then he moves on to chapter 6, it deals with children in the family unit. And then, a few verses later, he talks about employers and employees, how it works even in the workplace. In other words, this is practical righteousness that affects every part of your life. This is important here. This is a theme. I believe this is a theme of this practical righteousness of how to live this out. So now the third time that Paul mentions the word righteousness in the book of Ephesians is found where? In the armor of God. And so when you're going through how do you walk circumspectly, how do you walk in light and walk in love, what does that look like? We talked about how you deal with that in your family, in your marriage, with your children, how you do it at the workplace, how you live righteously and godly and obediently to the Lord. How do you do that? How can I do that? 
You put on the armor of God. That's how you do it. So like I said, Paul is kind of bringing this all to a climax of the way that you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, is you put on the armor of God. The whole armor of God, put it on, keep it on, is the idea that we have here. Here's the point. I, I, I think as I've been studying this, I believe this, that the devil cannot attack our position in Christ. You have been declared righteousness. No, no one can take that away from you. No one can change your relationship with Christ. No one can pluck you out of his hand. No one can separate you from his love. This is so important. So the devil can't attack your position in Christ, but he can attack how you live righteously for Christ. That's where he's after. He's after your heart. That's why the breastplate protected the heart. The heart is not necessarily the organ that we have here, or the piano. Okay, (laughs) sorry, music joke. All right. But what is it talking about here? The heart in the Bible times is referring to your, the seat of who you are, the real you, your mind, your will, your emotions, everything about you. The devil's going to do all he can to attack those vital areas in your life. He's going to look for a chink in the armor. This is so important. So what are we supposed to do? Let's go to another letter of Paul over in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. I know we're going, thumbing through a few pages. That's okay. You need, your hands need a little exercise today, okay? Romans 13, and let's look at just a couple verses here and see again how this is brought to light of practical righteousness, living this out, living Christ's righteousness out. Verse 12, uh, Romans 13, verse 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting or drunkenness, not chambering and wantonness, not in strife and in envying. Put, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fill, fulfill the lust thereof. And so again, what we're seeing here is exactly this. This is how you live righteously. Here's the, here's the bottom line. When people see you, whether it be in your home, whether it be with your children, whether it be at the workplace, even here at church, no matter where you are, do people see Christ in you? Do people see, not Aaron Broughton, do they see Jesus Christ? And I tell you what, when you think about that, that's so convicting. That's humbling when you think about that. Do other people see Jesus in you, through your testimony, how you walk with the Lord? No matter what trial may be going on in life, make sure people see Jesus in you. By that, you live righteously and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the question is this, why then do we need the breastplate of righteousness? It says again back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, this, that put you on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. It's amazing, sometimes we get taken by surprise. On Friday, after studying here and all that, I was... Um, Headed back home. As soon as I got out of my car, my neighbor came. Uh, I was getting mail at the mailbox, and the neighbor came over to me, and uh, she was all in a panic. She said, hey, can you come over and help me? Help me now. I said, what's going on? There's a snake. There's a snake over by our front door, and it's in, they have like a little rock garden near their entranceway. And, um, and I know our neighbor. She doesn't like snakes or rats or anything else like that, okay? Most of you probably don't either, Okay. It doesn't bug me too much. And so I said, let me put my stuff down. I'll be right over. So we came and we hunted and we looked in the bushes. I was out with her husband looking in the bushes. We found their cat hiding there. I should have shot it too. No, that's okay. (laughs) 
Some of you appreciate some of you hate that. Anyway, we'll know who the real lovers in, are in here. But nonetheless, we, we move the cat. cat. Cat's out of the picture now. Okay, so we look through everything. And that snake is just a garter snake, but it's about 18 inches long. And that's probably, for some of you, that's too big of a snake, right? All right. I got a few amens on that. Okay, so. But anyways, what we did, we took that snake, and we shot it, we killed it. And anyways, if you want to see a picture, ask Linnea afterwards. She, she was there, the photographer. But anyways, but this, our neighbor, to have that snake around, just the thought of that snake, and I hope I'm not scaring too many people here today, but just the thought of that snake being right by their doorstep, just put her at unease. She didn't, it, it controlled her life. Her whole evening was centered around, I got to get rid of this, and she could not function with that. The same thing is, when the devil attacks us, he tries to get those areas, again, the mind, the will, and emotions, so much that it paralyzes us. It puts fear into our lives that we cannot function. We cannot live, and here's the devil's plan, that you cannot live righteously before God and others. You cannot love God with all your heart, so much. you can't love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's the point. Why do we need the breastplate of righteousness? Because of the devil's schemes. And here's the thing. I like what one commentator says this. To neglect what we know to be righteous action is to leave a gaping hole in our armor. This is important. Character counts. What do I mean by that? One famous example of talking about armor in the Bible. There's two great passages. You could probably talk about David and Goliath. Goliath who wore that heavy coat of armor, that coat of mail. And, of course, David got him right between the eyes. We know that story. But another one that we sometimes forget is King Ahab. King Ahab of northern Israel. Uh, I like to say this. He was, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I believe he was kind of like the Herod the Great of the, of the Old Testament. He had great potential. Uh, he kind of knew what was right, but he never did what was right. He was a coward in all that. And we know that at the very end of his life, they went to battle. He and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah... And they go into battle, and what does he do? He actually disguises himself as one of the lesser soldiers in the army. And the Bible says in the book of 2 Kings 22 that an archer drew a bow at adventure. And he basically shows and basically takes the arrow and just happened to hit King Ahab right in the chink of the armor. Right where it counts. And Ahab, of course, he bled and he died right there. Here's the point. King Ahab, he did not wear the breastplate of righteousness. He had the opportunity. You think when there was a time, and you're kind of almost rooting for him. At least I did. Whenever I read when uh, Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal, and all of a sudden, you know, the people are saying, the Lord, he is God. And we saw the mighty work that God did and how the prophets of Baal were destroyed. You were kind of hoping for a second that Ahab would have wised up and said, look what God did. Yes, let's believe in God. But as soon as he told Jezebel, what? He just, with a tail between his legs, he just kept on going his own way. All right, enough on Ahab, but here's the point. Character counts. And just like that, the devil is looking for any opening in your armor, in your character, to attack. And this is the idea. Like I said, your salvation isn't changed. That's signed, sealed, and delivered, folks. That's taken care of. The devil can't attack your position, but he can attack the way you live righteously for Christ. So let's then talk practically. How then do we apply the breastplate of righteousness? It says at the very end here of Ephesians 6 that praying always with all prayer and supplication. We put each piece on with prayer. You give that yourself to God that way. But there's two main examples in the Bible that come to my mind. The first one is Joseph. Joseph, when he was betrayed by his own brothers, 
He was sold as a slave to Egypt. And then later on, it was Potiphar's wife who lied about him to try to entrap him, to try to get him to sin. What was his response? When she tempted him to sleep with her, what was his response? Joseph says this, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what we find here is this, that our pieces of the heavenly armor work together. Obedience to the belt of truth, truthfulness, produces a godly life that's righteousness. This is how it works. Let me say that again. The pieces of our heavenly armor work together. Obedience to the belt of truth produces a godly life in the breastplate of righteousness. They all work together. That's Joseph's example. What a tremendous example. Another uh, person in the Bible that comes to my mind was Job. Job, who suffered so much, he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his worldly possessions. His, his business, everything was gone. Because of all the tax, of course, Satan was all behind that. We know that. And, of course, he lost even his own health. And the Bible says this. What was the commentary on Job? Job 1.22 says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. This is great character of applying the breastplate of righteousness. They were going to do what's right, even though their world is falling apart. Now, I don't know about you, but we've all experienced, I'm sure, from time to time, vicious attacks that we think of throwing in the towel. We're done. I can't take it anymore. We think of ways that how, when we face temptation, especially to sin, to dishonor God, and we have things that go through our mind. Well, no one's looking. No one will ever know. Everyone else is doing. All the excuses we can give. But the thing is, is we don't live on excuses. We live on promises. And so when we do this, we live on the promise of the sure word that we have today. And we need to live in righteousness as Christ lives in and through us. You see here, the armor of God is essential for close combat situations. Again, today in our battlefield, most battle, battles that take place are from a distance. We have an airstrike. We have a drone that goes in to do some dirty work. Rarely do we see our, our soldiers nowadays going into hand-to-hand combat. They're prepared for that, but you don't see it as much. Back in the Roman days, that was the norm for the most part. Okay, And so the armor of God is essential for close combat situations. You see that many of the battles we face, it's not so much with the devil himself, but rather it's with our own flesh. He uses our flesh against us. He uses our desires against us, our mind, our will and emotion against us. And we're really left with a choice to obey or not obey. That's really what we're left with. You see this in, in Paul's writings here that Satan, what he is doing, he's looking for an opening to gain a place. Neither give place to the devil. Be angry and sin not. Neither give place to the devil. The idea is there is a place or even a foothold. He's trying to get a foot into your door. He sees a crack in your army, and he's going to exploit it any way he can. Be on guard for such attacks. Character matters. Integrity matters. Doing what is right before God matters. You see, Satan's tactic, as we think about this, we talked about how uh, we should walk in the Spirit, be filled with Spirit, how it affects us in our marriages, in our families, and in the workplace especially. Satan's tactic often is to divide human relationships while tempting one to continue in habitual sin. Think about that. That's sobering when you think about that. Satan, his tactic is ultimately to divide us. To divide us because of sin. And for you to continue in that habit of sin. I don't know what you may be struggling with or what you're not struggling with, but be on guard. Run away from sin. One of the great weapons that God has given us is two feet. Run. Run from sin. Get away from it and honor God. You see, here's the point. There's just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. 
That's what it comes down to. So when you're faced with a temptation, ask yourself that question. Is what I'm about to do, is that simply just pleasing me and pleasing what I want? Or is this really pleasing God who sees anyways? This is the important thing. You see, there's some dangers ahead. Our spiritual breastplate can be ineffective because of what? Because of carelessness. We're supposed to be sober and to be vigilant. Because why? Our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Our breastplate can be ineffective because of unbelief or of abusing grace. We think, oh, I'm saved. God forgives us. I can live however I want. Paul said in Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We can also be ineffective because of our disobedience. Here's the thing. When we tolerate sin, when we refuse to forgive, when we rely on personal righteousness or allow earthly concerns and problems to compete with our relationship with God, we, in effect, take off our breastplate of righteousness and therefore minimizing its power to protect us, and we are ultimately vulnerable. This is a warning for us that we should keep on the breastplate of righteousness. Therefore, what? We should apply the breastplate, and this calls us to be alert in the face of diversity. 2 Corinthians 6, 7 says this, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left. This is talking about the weapons that we use. But this is talking about how we face adversity. How do you face adversity? Is by having on the armor of righteousness and being prepared. In this, I want us to be challenged to follow the ultimate example of righteousness, and that is our great God who he is. I want you to turn with me. We're going to look at one more passage today in Isaiah chapter 59. We read it at the very beginning of the service today, and I want us to kind of close with this passage in mind. Isaiah chapter 59. My challenge is for us that we should follow our righteous warrior. Follow our righteous warrior, who is God. In verse 59... The passage here talks about, really, in Israel's sin and how there was none to deliver them from their sin. And here, and from all the world's problems and all their enemies, and here comes God. God says, I will take care of this sin once and for all, and I will deliver my people once for all. And this is how he's going to do it. Verse 59, verse 17 says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Does that sound familiar? That's what Paul's referring to here. Okay? And it says, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. This is amazing when you think about this. God will deliver us and he will come as a mighty warrior. And he will defeat. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 19 that when Christ, the Messiah, will return to this earth, what will he do? He will come back in righteousness and he will wreak vengeance on this earth. And he will make the wrong right. When we think about the enemy that we face today, and we have a serious enemy, we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And with their powers combined, it's, it's a daunting task. But, you know, here's the point. When you look at the problems in this world and the problems in this life, if you read the Bible and you believe the Bible and you believe our God, you put things in perspective. Because God, he is the victor. Jesus Christ, his son, the Messiah, who this ultimately is pointing to, he is the one that will deliver us from this world of sin. And the enemy will be defeated, defeated once and for all. He's a defeated foe already, folks. Cling to that. You are victors when you put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you keep it on. You keep it on. You see, the Messiah warrior always does right. He always does righteously. This is a part of his character. Even so, we must follow his example of living out his righteousness. So here's the point. Putting on the armor of God identifies us with our captain. It's his armor. 
How do we live? As Galatians says, it's Christ who lives within me. Christ within me, the hope of glory. Therefore, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I close the message with these words by commentator Alexander McLaren. I was trying to write something clever. I said, he did the work for me, okay? Praise God for that. But this is so poignant. Listen to this. I like what McLaren says. The breastplate of righteousness is our defense against evil. A habit of righteousness, a habit of righteous conduct is itself a defense against temptation. Untilled fields bear abundant weeds. Isn't that true? The robe of righteousness will guard the heart as effectively as a coat of mail, as a breastplate. The positive use of, with good, weakens temptation and arms us against evil. But so long as we are here in our righteousness, we must be militant. We must be content to live ever armed to meet the enemy, which is always hanging around us and watching for an opportunity to strike. The time will come when we shall put off the breastplate and put on the fine linen, clean and white, which is the heavenly and final form of the righteousness of the saints. One day when we get to heaven, we don't necessarily need that armor. But we do right now in this warfare that we are engaged in right now. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the powers, spiritual darkness of this world. So therefore, I challenge you, as Paul does, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. First of all, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, again, you're fighting, you're on the other side of the war. But God calls you in His great love. He calls you to Himself. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. And He he calls everyone, everywhere, boys and girls, men and women, Regardless of your age and status, he calls on everyone to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You can't rest in your own righteousness. It's worthless armor. It is. But he calls you to rest and to dress in his righteousness, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our challenge to us today. If you're here today, you've never done that. Talk to me. Talk to someone today. We'd be glad to show you from God's word how you can be saved and your life be changed forever. If you have done that, put on that armor today, folks. Live righteously. Honor him. Do other people see Christ in you, the hope of glory? This is a challenge for us today. Put on the breastplate of righteousness.